Good evening. I want to welcome all of you to our special Wednesday night programming tonight where we as a family of faith, as a congregation, are going to have a unique opportunity, which is to engage in a dialogue with the mayor of our city, Steve Adler. As we do that, and now before we invite Mayor Adler up, I'm going to set a little bit of a context for how we got here tonight and the spirit in which uh, we believe that we're going to have this conversation. We're going to do an opening prayer through song. And so I invite you to stand, and Tom Brown is going to lead us in a hymn, a prayer. So what we want to do for just a couple of brief minutes is to talk a little about the format of how we're thinking about tonight, as well as a little background in what has brought us uh, to this exciting night and this exciting moment for our congregation. 
Uh, first off, format. We called this a dialogue that we're going to have with the mayor. Um, we are going to uh, uh, not, we're not going to open this up uh, in terms of an open mic, but where we have uh, taken your input is through questions that we've been asking for uh, online, in person. Many of you have emailed me questions, and your questions and your comments have greatly shaped the direction that we're going to uh, ask some questions in and to take this conversation forward. And so first off, I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for uh, the input that you've given in and how tonight can work. Secondly, how we got here. How we got here began uh, in many ways in January. In January, if uh, many of you were here, you will remember that we had a visiting scholar with us, Daryl Guter from Pr Princeton Seminary. Uh, he and I had a dialogue sermon one morning, and uh, the scripture we used was one we're going to bring up on the screens here from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. This is what it says. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Surely we do not need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you, do we? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter of Christ, prepared by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And what Daryl was uh, challenging our congregation about was that uh, we do not exist for ourselves. We don't exist for our own benefit. We don't exist just to make ourselves feel better. We don't exist in kind of a consumer-driven way uh, like that. That we exist as a congregation in order to impact uh, our community with the gospel. We exist in many ways for those outside these walls. And the way that he phrased that from the scripture passage from Paul is that he said, what does it mean to understand yourselves as a love letter to the city of Austin written by God? What does it mean to think of yourselves as a love letter to the city of Austin being written by God? Well, that started a number of, of fascinating conversations. It sparked a lot of ideas that we've had. And one of those interesting conversations happened for me the, the days following Daryl's visit with J.J. Baskin. J.J., as many of you know, uh, passed away uh, recently, and, um, and we greatly miss him still. As J.J. was getting uh, more and more ill, he wasn't able to come to church much, but that week I'd had the chance to visit with him, and we talked about Daryl. We talked about him being here. We talked about his message, and J.J., as J.J. had an amazing ability to do until the very end, just got fired up. I, he was like, I love this. I love this idea. I love this concept. We need to do stuff with it. And so he said, well, what would it mean if we really want to engage the city? If we exist for the sake of people outside our walls, we need to find ways to engage the city. And, you know, in conversation and in dialogue, I said, yeah, we definitely do. He said, like, we need to talk to the officials and the leaders of the city. I said, yeah, we do. He said, like, the mayor. We should talk to the mayor about how to be a love letter from God to the city. I said, you're exactly right. Now, I took that conversation as a Southerner, right? As somebody, like when someone says to you in the South, hey, we should get lunch sometime. And you say, yeah, we should. And then you're shocked if they call you to actually get that lunch. 
Not in a bad way, Mr. Mayor. Not that we didn't like the idea, but I just thought it was, you know, we're just kind of bantering around ideas. About four hours later, I received an email from JJ saying that these were the Wednesdays the mayor's office was available <laughs> to have Mayor Adler come and meet with us. And so I believe that J.J. Baskin is smiling down upon us tonight. And, um, and it's in that spirit of what does it mean to be a love letter from God to the city of Austin that I'd like you to join me in welcoming our mayor, Mayor Steve Adler. Okay, so Mayor Adler has had to, um, we've walked through a little bit of how this is going to work, um, and, and what we've talked about is that we don't want this just to be about uh, the city. Uh, we want you to know that we want to be for the city, and that means for the leadership of the city. So one of the things that we wanted to do was first just get to hear from you a little bit. Um, one of the questions that was asked for me when I was moving here is, Someone who I love stopped me and goes, why in the world do you want to be the senior pastor of a large church? Um, and I had some reasons, I think, of why we went and did that. But I would ask you the same question. In a day and age when there's kind of more cynicism about stuff, about politics, about institutions, um, why, why politics and what was it about being the mayor of Austin that kind of prompted you to step forward in this? Well, let me begin, uh, Pastor, by saying thank you for inviting me here uh, uh, this evening. And quite frankly, anything that uh, J.J. Would, would, would ask, I'd do. Uh, uh, he was one of the first people to uh, support me as I, as I ran. And given where he was, there were you know, potential political uh, costs to him of supporting me. I was running against two incumbents. Uh, but he uh, was so supportive, so... Uh, early and then continuously, um, I miss him too. Uh, so it's, it's good to be here uh, with, the, with the congregation tonight, and I appreciate the opportunity. So why did I run? Uh, you know, I've lived in Austin for 37 years, and I love the city. Uh, I grew up in uh, D.C., uh, inner city D.C. Uh, my brother and I were the first in our family to go to college. Uh, I went to, to Princeton also, uh, not the seminary. Uh, not everyone can claim the seminary. Uh, no. The university, you know. Uh, I, I, I went there on a scholarship. I came to, to UT uh, Austin uh, because it was the cheapest law school in the country and I could afford it. And, and they gave me a scholarship too, or otherwise I, I wouldn't have come. I had no intention of staying here. But like so many people who come to UT Austin, I, I fell in love with the city. And uh, for, for Diane and myself, we've been able to, to, to achieve uh, uh, so much more than, than I even knew to dream of uh, when I arrived here in 1978. There are magical things about this city, but there are also pretty significant challenges in this city. A lot of that go back that 37 years and beyond in this city. Uh, and I was always frustrated with uh, council meetings that would go till three o'clock in the morning uh, that would never get out in front of what I thought were the serious challenges we had. There was a, a lack of long-term planning and, and being policy-driven. Uh, so I, I 
was frustrated with the, with the system. And then we have, at this moment in time, a change in, in government. We've gone from an at-large system to a district system. There's a, there's a whiteboard that we, that we have to be able to recreate government uh, as, as, as we might imagine it to be. And no better time to do that because using uh, the words you used a moment ago and I used for 12 months, Austin is at a tipping point. Uh, and at a crossroads, we 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 truly have to figure out who we are in this in in this city, and 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 the disparity in wealth, the disparity in opportunity uh, in this city, the the issues that we have in terms of affordability and traffic, and we're just not out in front of anything. So we have this moment in time that's crucial for the city, uh, and we have this opportunity that's unique. So I did the reasonable thing uh, in the. <laughs> You complained. I went, I went out, I complained, and, and, I, and I went out to try to find somebody else to run for mayor. <laughs> there was a whole group of us that went out to try to find somebody to, to, to run for mayor. And everybody that we went to uh, said, said no. Uh, and at some point, that group of people started coming back to me, and they said, okay, so we've heard your riff on this time and, and why it's important, and, and you've been describing yourself, you need to run. I really didn't take it that seriously because these were my, my friends. Uh, and I knew that they had just gone to a lot of people and been told no by a lot of people. And they were <laughs> scraping the, the barrel at that point. Uh, but then people started coming to me that were not in that group. And it was as wide a coalition as I've ever seen. I had the, the, the leaders of the Chamber of Commerce and the Real Estate Council in Austin. But I also had the people that were the original folks that had run the campaign for the Save Our Springs mm. ordinance. There were people that had never worked with each other before that were coming. So I, I went home to Diane and I said, my wife, and I said, so what do, what do we do? What do we do? And, and, and she said, uh, uh, well, you know, run, don't run. She goes, I'll support you, whatever, you know, whatever you decide. She said, but if you don't run, then, then don't ever come home and complain again. <laughs> I laughed just like you. She was, she was deadpan. No laughter looking at me. And she said, no, no, this isn't, this isn't funny. This is, this is real here. You have a unique opportunity. You have, for the, uh, that's being presented by the change in government. Uh, you're in a city that has been great to our family. Uh, there is a unique time. We're really at a, at a crossroads. And we are in a position that if this is something that you decided that you wanted to do, we could do it. She said, if you, if you, if you don't run, you can't complain because you will have lost the moral authority mm. to be able to complain. And I, and I, and I thought about that for, for probably a couple days. Uh, I don't know how you end up at this place at this time, in that situation, and not run. I don't know how you justify that to yourself two years later or three years later. You were there at that time in that position, and you didn't. Um, so I ran ultimately because I, I don't think that I had much choice. When we think about the city, when we want to talk about you know, what's happening in Austin and what it means for a congregation to serve, it's easy to jump on what the issues are, what the problems are. Um, 
some of the questions that came from folks in our congregation, though, uh, wanted to start in a different place. And the, the question that, that I'd like to start with is, you talked about this, the uniqueness of this city. Um, when you are with mayors of other cities, um, what do you see as the unique strengths of this community that, that we want to be aware of in order to build upon going forward? That's a great place to begin this conversation. I think Austin is a magical place. Austin, from the time that I got here, I think was a city where, where nobody was too good and everybody was good enough. This was a city that, from when I got here in 78, was creative uh, in a way that, that, that most cities are not. This was a, a city that was entrepreneurial in a way that most cities are not. This was an accepting city. This is a city that loved its, its environment. This was a city that put its community values uh, in, into expression uh, on how it, how it did things in the, in the community. Uh, you know, you go anywhere in the country and say you're from Austin, Texas, and it means something to people. Anywhere in the country, Austin, Texas, it means something. And what gets played back to you is not the fact that we're the fastest growing economy, the hottest economy perhaps in the world for a metropolitan area. We can talk about what that means later. Uh, but what gets played back to you is this, this spirit and soul that is Austin, Texas. Uh, and, and I think that that's true. I truly believe that this is a magical place. We have challenges and we can talk about those. But if we're gonna be the one city in the world to figure out how to resolve and get in front of challenges that many cities are facing, it will be because of that spirit and that soul. It will be because of the people that live here. It will be going to that well uh, to find the, the, the resources uh, and the power uh, to be able to do that. So we've spent enough time on that. Okay. What, what, what are the challenges? I mean, and as we think about this, um, you know, with any opportunity, there are challenges that come with it. And, um, and you have, we did talk earlier about kind of the crossroads Austin seems to be at today. Um, one part is maintaining these strengths. One part is not losing those values. Um, what are some of the things that as you've been in office since January that you look at um, now being in your position and think these are, these are some challenges that, uh, that are kind of facing us in the in the near-term future that we need to be paying attention to and we need to, to have common language about in order to deal with? A lot of you know, the, the challenges that we, that we face, many of them are the byproduct of the success that we've achieved. Uh, so I think you begin in the conversation about challenges by talking about what are the strengths? What, what is it that's happening that's wonderful? We are the fastest growing metropolitan area in the country over the last four years. And not our, only are we the fastest growing metropolitan area, we are 30% faster than number two. And in that kind of rating, you never see a spread like that. Number two through 12 are all bunched with each other. That we are 30% ahead of number two is, is mind boggling. Uh, we have perhaps the, you know, the most dynamic uh, economy of any metropolitan area in the world. Uh, 
uh, right now in terms of growth, in terms of jobs that we bring in. Mm. We bring in more jobs than, than, than anyone else. We were, we, we are the, this is the, one of the few communities in the world right now that, that when we get placed number one on another list by another magazine or another agency, in this community we yawn. I mean, we, we oh, yeah, number one on another list. It doesn't mean anything anymore. And there are communities that would die for, for, for any one of those. We were recently named the, the number one city for, for uh, supporting and sustaining technology, which meant that we passed San Francisco and the Silicon Valley, and we passed London, and we passed Mumbai. Uh, that's, in, that's incredible what's happening in the city. There are about 885,000 people that live in this city. There are almost 2 million people that live in the metropolitan area, the six county area. And in 20, 25 years, there will be 4 million people living in this metropolitan area. Where do those people go? <laughs> and, and what do they do? And how do they, and how do they move around? And on top of that growth, we bring in more jobs than anyone else in, in, in the country does. 60% of those jobs don't pay a living wage. 60% of those jobs. In Austin, Texas, 50% of the African-American kids under 18 live in poverty. Our city, Austin, Texas, 45% of Hispanic kids under 18 in our city live in poverty. Austin, Texas, with as much wealth as there is in this community, with as many wonderful things that are happening in this community. When you look at those numbers, the, the total population of this city that's living in poverty, without regard to ethnicity or race, is, 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 is incredible. Uh, we have a disparity in wealth in this city uh, that is extreme. We rank number one. We're talking about number one lists. We are the most economically segregated city in the country. Austin, Texas. Now reconcile that with how we think about ourselves. Reconcile that with, with how enlightened a community we are. And you can't. Uh, this is a city that in 1927 and 1928 uh, passed an ordinance to move everyone of color out of their homes, wherever they were in the city, and move them to the east side of town. By ordinance, we did that. By municipal plan, we did that. We were one of the last cities to desegregate schools. This is Austin, Austin, Texas. So we have that legacy as well in our city that drive the challenge, that also it's the growth and our legacy that drive the significant challenges. We have an affordability issue in the city where we are, we're, we're losing people and we're losing communities. We are the only fast growing major city in the country that is losing African American population on an absolute basis. We're not talking about percentages going down. We're talking about the, the number of people going down in this city. Uh, so our challenges, many of them are affordability. If we lose the diversity, if we lose the artists that make this city creative, if we lose that fabric that is our city, we won't be Austin anymore. 
San Francisco last year became the first city in the country where the, the, the median home value went over $1 million. Over $1 million, San Francisco. Our median home value, just over $200,000. But I will tell you, don't change things, and we are on the path to be San Francisco. That's the path we are on. Unless there's a conscious decision and a conscious strategy to get off that path, we will become a very large Vail, Colorado. That's the path we're on. Uh, we have affordability issues in this city. We have issues that exacerbate the affordability issue and are so big that they're, they're problems in and of themselves, like traffic congestion, which is related to public transportation and how we move people around in this city. You know, six years ago, we were the 26th most congested city in the country. Today, number four. We are, the fourth, we are more congested than New York City. We need, to, we need to figure that out. We have a looming water issue in this city as our lakes uh, dry up, and, and we have more people coming in. Uh, and that's going to be a problem that if we're not dealing with today, we'll, we'll, it'll be too late for us to deal with that in the future. We have all these problems are related. They're related to the growth. They're related to the affordability issue. We have schools that are strained. The schools on the west side of town, our public schools, are very different from the schools on the east side of our town. Uh, the performances are. The, the health care outcomes in this city are um, uh, very different, uh, depending on where you live in this city. Uh, that's a challenge for us, uh, the health care uh, delivery process. The unemployment rate in this city is incredible. It's, what, 3.3% unless you're living over there, in which case it's a double-digit uh, unemployment uh, rate. Uh, and these are things that we can, in fact, deal with. These are, there's, there's, you know, the, these problems are not unique to cities. Fast-growing cities all over our country and all over the world are dealing with the same gentrification issues that we're dealing with. But I believe, I believe that there is no city in the world that is better positioned to be able to deal with and to set and, and to figure out and to create and to invent the best practices that cities around the rest of the world are going to want to invite and tailor because we have resources and assets collectively that no other city has. We have an incredible economy, which means we have a wealth pool and an economic engine we can tap into. We have a, a, a community that historically is, is friendly and accepting, uh, a community where we don't have uh, old, uh, almost you know, the, the social caste system that comes with a lot of cities that have, that have older right. traditions. Uh, we don't have that uh, in this city. Uh, and, and, and I think that's a strength. Our culture is our strength. And we also picked as our industry, the tech industry, which is the most forward-looking and expansive industry that exists. And if you look at the new companies that are being created right now by people 
like my daughter, 24 years old, um, uh, kids in their 20s and in their 30s. I think I'm allowed to say that. Mm -hmm. You look at the companies that are being created today, and most of them being developed in Austin right now are monetizing in some way a social challenge, mm -hmm. a community challenge. So you put those three things together. We are the community that is best positioned to do this, and, and, and for our country and for the world, we need to figure these things out. You know, and I think as, as we think about this as Christians, as followers of Jesus, um, each of these issues that, that you've been raising, and we were talking about this earlier, has a significant spiritual component to it, you know, of how we um, think we're called to live and to witness um, as that love letter from God, you know, to, to the city. Um, I want to I get to that in a minute, is what, what's the unique role that you would see of, of, a, of a congregation, of the faith community in addressing some of this? Um, first, though, just a question for you as a leader uh, in this city. Um, what, do you see, what do you see as your role uh, and the role of, of city government in addressing some of these? And then that'll move into what are the limitations that you face, that city government faces in this, where I believe that the faith community is called to, um, to step in and seek to serve the city. How, how do you see that? How do you think about that um, as a leader and as the mayor of the city? Well, I would separate the, that, that question in terms of what I think the city role is versus what my role is. Okay. Uh, so let me talk about those separately. Uh, you know, the, the city is the, is the administrative expression of its citizens, of the people that, that vote. There are certain things that we can do better collectively uh, than we can do individually. And there need to be some rules uh, that, as a community, we follow to make sure that, that people aren't hurting one another and, and that we... So, so it's almost an administrative type, type function. And that's really what our, what our city does. Uh, you know, our government is a strong city manager government, uh, which means that our city manager, who is the CEO of the city, uh, executes management. Um, uh, so I see that as, the, as, as that function. The council's role is the policy role. So it's the council's role that, that makes choices and sets priorities. Uh, we have limited resources, uh, and we can talk about that in terms of, of, of what it is and the importance of, 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 of communities like this and, and faith communities and, and other communities in our, in our city. The mayor's powers in our city, the, the power of this office, is, is fairly limited. Uh, the mayor, real power, is in the power to convene. It's the power to be able to bring people together that might not otherwise get together. Uh, it's the power, it's the ability to be able to see challenges in the city that are constantly coming from lots of different places at 100,000 feet. So the perspective I have is very different now than the perspective I had four months ago, just because of where I'm sitting and what I see. But the ultimate power is the power to convene. And then the second power is the power of the, of the bully pulpit, the power to be able to talk to people and to communicate and to message. 
and to help set uh, the agenda for community or, or public will. So the, mayor, the mayor's office is a tool, and it belongs to all of us. Um, I happen to be there right now, but my, my role, and I very much believe in the servant leader uh, concept, is I have a tool uh, that's available for all of us to use. Uh, and and, and that's, that's how I would use that, that tool. It's, government is the collective voice of the community that sets the rules and then the leaders I think you expect to have a different perspective given the position that we've been put in and then to communicate and share that view or that that view as best I can with as many people to to get a sense for or help lead toward community will and then to to message it and move it forward. So that leads us into what what the role for a congregation might be, and and part of what um, Daryl Guter, this professor, not at Princeton University at the seminary, but he's a smart guy still. Um, he's right next door. Right, they right are. They are. Um, the seminary is actually there first, so I don't know if that. Um, True. The. Um, one of the things he and I talked about, uh, and he spoke with the congregation about, is how do we engage, that we can't have this model anymore of waiting for people to come to us, um, but that we need to go to people. Uh, we need to go to the city. We need to go to our neighbors seeking, you know, how do we serve? We need to initiate. Um, but there's also a different spirit in that, I believe, when you do it that way. Um, and we had just come out of Christmas, and we were talking about how both my parents, my mom and dad, are... Um, are divorced, and so you know that has its drawbacks. It has its advantages for the, my kids. At Christmas, they get like double the presents coming in. Um, but one of the things that my parents both did this year was they said, um, you know, one of your gifts as a family is we're going to give to um, uh, a, a ministry in Haiti that we have as a family a relationship with. Um, but but the way it worked was my mom came to us, who I love dearly, and. She's a great person. Uh, but she came to us and said, your gift is we're giving to Haiti. My father came and said, we'd like to give to something. What would you all like? We said to Haiti. It went in the same direction, but the spirit of that's different. When we as a family got to participate in how we saw this. And some of the stuff, one of the things Daryl Guter was saying is that there's a different spirit when a church whether it's through a mission committee or a leadership, kind of goes behind its closed walls and comes out and says to the city, this is how we'll serve you. This is what your needs are. So this is what we'll do. And that's where we start, you know, forming the 37th task force on homelessness that, that exists and everything else. But it's got our stamp on it because it's our church's way of doing it. Versus coming out and saying, um, what would this look like from your perspective as the city? What would seem like service? What would you, now, now, what we do with that information, we might follow what you or others might say. We might decide to take it in a different way. But it's a different spirit, and it's a spirit, hopefully, that we can convey of humility to come and say to the city of Austin, not that you can speak for the entire city, but as the mayor, you're, you've got quite a, a position in that. What would you think, seeing the, the joys, seeing the challenges of this city, that if we came and said, we'd love to serve, we've got 
a lot of people who are part of this community that we could throw in and make a big difference in this city. What would seem like service to you? Does that, that, does that make, does that it make sense? It makes perfect sense. Okay. Uh, and, and, and we're going to be at a standoff on that question, so I'm, I'm going to get to that second. Let me start first by saying this city cannot move forward without communities like this stepping up. There are not enough resources available to city government to deal with the challenges that our community has. Uh, and I'm not absolutely convinced that city government is the best way to deal with a lot of the challenges that, that we have. Uh, but, you know, we have pressed the, the, the property tax uh, as, as far as, as the system will allow and people can afford. <laughs> mm -hmm. The resources that are coming down from the state and the federal government are, are getting more limited every, every year. Uh, when the same people involved in government are the same people who are being asked again to come up with the answers to our challenges, we get the same answers that we have had before. We need different people. We need different voices uh, to join with those that are and have been uh, here and at the table. You know, I was at the University of Texas the other day talking about something. And a couple of people in the, in the computer science department came up to me. And they said, hey, while you're here, before you leave, can we talk about traffic congestion? <laughs> and you said, I'd love to. <laughs> I, I said, I'd love to. And I thought to myself, you know, 80% of the people that come up to me nowadays want to talk about traffic congestion. So I said, yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about that. And they said, you realize we don't know anything about traffic. And I thought to myself, 80% of the people that come up to me to talk about traffic <laughs> don't know anything about traffic. But that doesn't invalidate them from the conversation. I said, let's talk. And they said, what if, he said, the city keeps approaching the traffic congestion issue as if, there, if, as if there were, this was a hardware problem. Is it bus? Is it a train? Is it, what is the appropriate hardware device to employ and, and, and provide? They said, what if it's not a hardware problem? What if this is a software problem? What if you went into this and said, this is a software problem, now try to solve it? Would you end up in a different place? I mean, eventually it's going to lead to some choices on hardware, but would the conversation go in a different place? I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> and they said, look, we don't know anything about transportation. I said, I understand that, but what are you talking about? And they said, I don't know. What if, what if you're trying to figure out what the downtown circulator system needs to be? What if you took the technology that Uber and Lyft are using right now? I don't know how many people here have used those. What if you took that and, and put it on steroids? What if anywhere you were downtown, you walked out of the building that you were in and you typed into the app on your phone where you were and where you wanted to go? And it got sent into the central computer that was 
either the city or a business, or it went into a central computer. And the central computer controlled 250 six-person or eight-person vans. And the central computer directed each one of those vans. And you got picked up by a van that was somewhere relatively close to where you were that was generally heading to where it was that you wanted to go. And it kept rerouting those vans and it, based on who it was picking up and who it was dropping off. And just like the Uber and Lyft van, as soon as you plugged that in, the computer identified for you the van that was going to get you. And you could see where it was and how far away it was. How many, and you could actually watch it travel to you as you were there. What if that was the answer? I don't know if that idea works. But what I do know is that in all of the meetings I've had, and watched over the last how many years when we were talking about how to approach downtown circulation, no one at that table suggested anything like that. I don't know if that works. We need to have different conversations. And there's, by the way, there's a way to do that right now. There's a mobilityatx.com is a community conversation that's happening, just got initiated and is just starting to engage the public to start capturing as many of those ideas as we can from people that aren't going to traditionally show up. But now let me get to your question. I see the question you just asked almost as a mirror reflection. If I told you what it was that you should do, it would be entirely different than if you came to me and said, this is where my passion lies. This is what I think I can do well. Um, so from where I sit, much preferred than me coming to you and saying, this is the gift I want. It would be me sitting down with you and saying, you, I am so blessed and honored with your offer of a gift. So now let's sit down. Because I have a pretty good feel for where my challenges are. Mm -hmm. I have a pretty good feel for where the, because of my 60,000, 100,000 foot vision, I know who the players are. I know who's trying to do what. I know who's doing things well. I know people who are having challenges that can't quite get over the hump, but if they could, then they might. I know communities that are lost. Um, so it's, it, it, I, what we need to engage in is, you, is that conversation. All right, so let me, let, let's, go, let's go a step then in that direction, because we're, we're, we're way off script now, which is great. I, I, I actually... <laughs> I actually love being off script, so this is, this is where we head. Uh, Jill, our pastor in the back, is very nervous right now because I'm off script. But um, um, there are significant issues in this city. As followers of Jesus, it seems to me that when Jesus is asked the question, what's the most important commandment? He says, well, the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And I think the first and primary question that we as Christians need to go to when we think about how to make a difference in this city is that we need to figure out how to, if nothing else, do a good job of loving our neighbor, 
of paying attention to people. Um, you know, traffic patterns um, are important, and they um, seem more important to me when I'm sitting on Mopac at 5 o'clock in the afternoon than right now. But of the issues I think we need to be worrying about, I think there are questions that you've raised about our neighbors in this city, about people, um, uh, that uh, I'm concerned that we have such a disparity between those who have much and the many who have little. I think what does it mean for us as a congregation to love people well? Um, and loving means service and action, not just a feeling or an emotion. So as, I guess that might be a place to start, is if we look at neighborhoods, as we look at um, educational opportunities, as we look at issues of poverty uh, and homelessness, those would be the places I think that as a congregation would certainly be at the forefront of where we want to start because that involves loving people. That involves doing what Jesus did, which is to go to those who have little and to say, you are fully included at the table. So um, does that give you enough of a... It does. Well, let's keep this conversation going. So, so one way to approach this would be to, to have everyone that wanted to, to, to provide that, that gift uh, to the community to make individual choices. You could act collectively or any combination of that. My experience has been that people get most committed if they're working on something that is most significant to them. Uh, you know, the, the food bank in this city, for example, uh, there's a desperate need in this city for, for healthy food. We have, and, and that takes many forms. We have food deserts uh, in this city uh, where whole communities are not proximate to any measure of healthy food because there's no grocery store available. There's no small stores available. Uh, they're paying too much for food that's not really good. And it impacts with the levels of obesity and diabetes and part of our communities impact in part follow from that. If that was something that interested collectively or individually there and and so one way is kind of like take an inventory of of what the skills are or the opportunities are or the resources resources are that could be shared if we had somebody in this room that was an executive at HEB then I then there's one conversation I'd want to have about food deserts uh, and ways in which the the city uh, might be able to uh, to, to co-invest uh, in a way, and quite frankly, those kind of conversations are, are going on with, with players that might be able to do that. So I, I don't know what the inventory is at that level. Uh, but, uh, and then there's a question of, of time, mm -hmm. and the gift of time is, is, is perhaps the most valuable gift mm -hmm. that, that anybody can give. And there are organizations that deal with food, uh, the um, uh, mobile loaves and fishes, uh, the, the needs people, uh, the food bank needs people. The food bank uh, main fundraising event was the reggae festival that was just down on, on, on Town Lake. And on the day that they raised most of their money, the concert got rained out uh, a week ago. 
and they're looking at a shortfall of a little over $100,000. This is a group of people, and actually a group of clients, that are at this point um, in, in crisis mode because they don't know what it is that they're going to, to, to be able to, to do. Um, if that was, if, if that, for example, became the, what the interest was, if that's what, what created the interest. Uh, healthcare delivery, there are, are, are needs in the city with respect to clinics, the people's clinic. There are people, there are opportunities for individuals to be able to volunteer, uh, to provide resources. There's opportunity for groups collectively to be able to, to help. You could partner with another uh, uh, faith organization in another part of the city uh, because there are, um, there are, I was in a, in a church uh, this past Sunday uh, that is dealing with um, um, ministering and supporting uh, uh, people who are in prison because a lot of the fathers and a lot of the members of their community uh, have very close and direct ties to people who, who are right now serving time. And that becomes one of the main challenges that, that they have. Uh, but to, to really partner uh, with, a, uh, with, a, with another, with a church, uh, and, and to adopt, in part, as your agenda, what their agenda is. I mean, for, for you collected, you came over to some of those churches and said, we want to help. What can we do to help would be like the cavalry riding over the, the, the hillside uh, to them. There are challenges in education. So, so part of it is, I mean, there is no, no loss of, of opportunities uh, in this city. You could almost pick the cause or the area uh, that was of, of interest, either individually or, or, or collectively. Uh, there's, you know, and that, that reminds me of, of, of a couple of things, and I think that's worth us as a community, as a congregation, thinking about. And the first is, um, you know, how we can be taking new initiatives, whether it's partnering, whether it's seeing these needs, whether it's an initiative uh, like we've experienced of getting involved with Alan Julie and your work in uh, East Austin with education, uh, whether it's involved um, uh, with Terry and what you're doing with Street Youth Ministries. I know Terry's here somewhere. There, there, there's different things where, that we all need to be thinking about as individuals, as small groups, as places um, where we can get involved in something new. But something else you said that I think we need to be thinking about is if we believe that our life is an offering, then we also have to believe that where we are today is an opportunity that God has placed us in order to make a difference. You mentioned the idea of someone at HEB. Uh, I think lots of times we can live our lives, and we talk about organizationally here at Covenant Silos, you know, different departments that work in silos, but we can think of our lives like silos if we're not careful. There's the my faith part, there's the my family part, there's the my work part of where I volunteer. And I believe that you and I are called to think holistically about our lives and to think about how where we are today as 
stay-at-home parents, as grandparents, as architects, as doctors, as lawyers, of the place that God has placed us right now where we can leverage that platform uh, of where we already are to make a difference. And I think sometimes we just don't think that way. You know, sometimes we have to look at a new way at where we already are and go, wow, there, there's all kinds of things we could do here if we just stepped out and took the opportunity um, using the place that God has already placed us and the gifts that we already have. And so that might be another way beyond thinking of new initiatives, which I would encourage us to do and the mission committee to do is to be thinking about where has God already placed us that we could enact a way of serving this city um, in ways too. Because sometimes there might just be natural connections we just haven't yet made uh, in, in where we already are. This is the last thing because we, we, we promised we'd get you out of here on time. And so hopefully we might be able to do this again at some point. Because um, we know you don't have anything else to do. Uh, <laughs> so um, last thing is we said we want to be for the city. We also want to be for you as a leader here, as uh, for, for the leadership of our city. Um, and, and what I mean by that is uh, we want to, whether you're one party or another or think a certain way or this way, we want to we pray for you. We want to know as a leader um, that not just that we can pray for the city, which we do and pray for you in office, but also realizing that leadership from time to time, I've heard, can be hard. Uh, it can be it can be isolating. It can be exhausting. Um, um, I mean, I could go on for a long time about what it what it is. Um, it's been tough, and if you could talk to me about it, I'd appreciate it. But uh, no, no, no. I, but we'd love to know how we could pray for you. How could we pray for your family? I mean, how how could we be people that are intentionally um, lifting you up in prayer as the top elected official in our city at this time? And then, and then we're going to, just to warn you, then we're going to do it. So. No. And, and, and it would, it would, go, me, okay. and it would mean a lot to me uh, and, and, and would be greatly appreciated. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't describe, you know, I, I ran for this office, right? So I, I signed up for, for all the good and all of the, the, the tougher challenges, but it is hard, and and quite frankly, my 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 wife plays a pays a, a, a much bigger price, I think, in this than 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 I do. Uh, you know, our lives were pretty well set. We were on a pretty nice path. You know, when I came to her and said, "Okay, we're, what about going in an entirely different way?" You know, she. But so, knowing that, without regard to all the things that you mentioned, not being without regard to that measure of, of support and, and joining. And, and uh, if you're offering to share a prayer for me, I will take that. Thank you. Let's pray together. Lord, we give you thanks for the opportunity to be here, the opportunity to be in dialogue with Mayor Adler about our city, about the gifts and the strengths and the uniqueness that Austin, Texas offers to us and to this world. 
We give you thanks for the chance to live in this community and to be a part of um, the neighborhoods, the schools, the businesses that compose this city. And we give you thanks for the opportunity to be a part of this family of faith here at Covenant Presbyterian Church. We give you thanks tonight for J.J. Baskin and for his life and the impact it's had on us, including tonight. And we continue to pray for Joy and Judge and Ben. We continue to ask that you would show us how we can continue to seek to love this city uh, the way that J.J. was so passionate about in your name. And so we pray, Lord, that you would continue to lead us individually as Sunday school classes, as PW circles, as lamplighters, as small groups, that you would continue to lead us in how we are called to be a love letter from you to the city of Austin. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to catch your vision, to dream your dreams for this city, and that you would compel us forward to put those visions into reality to make decisions of how we spend our time and what we devote ourselves to, to be for the things of your kingdom, to love our neighbors, and to welcome all those in your name into our midst. We pray, Lord, tonight for Mayor Adler and for his wife and for his three daughters. We pray that you would continue to strengthen him for the leadership and the call that you have placed on his life. We pray for his family, for the sacrifices that they are making because they believe in the difference that he can make. We ask that your spirit and your anointing would be upon him to carry the mantle of leadership that you've placed on him and that he would know that while we are a community following you, we are committed to praying for him and for the leadership of this city this state, and this country. And we ask that you would strengthen him and give him your vision for how this city is to grow into the place that you desire it to be. Thank you for the opportunity to share in this conversation together and may it propel us forward to be your letter of love to our neighbors, both those in our zip code and in others to walk beyond the lines that divide us so easily. And we commit to doing so in your name. For it is in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.